Welcome to the University of Michigan Dentistry Podcast Series, promoting oral health care worldwide. In order to visualize the structures within the spinal canal, the entire posterior aspect of the vertebrae need to be removed. As we see in this illustration, all of the deep back muscles now have been removed from the ribs and the posterior aspect of the vertebral column, and the vertebral column has been opened already. Removing all of these spines of the vertebrae all the way from the back of the sacrum and including the posterior aspect of the sacrum and all the way up and down the line of attachment to the base of the skull we can now visualize some of the contents of the vertebral canal. Before we do however we should look at the spinous processes in this segment that have been removed. Here we have four spinous processes extending downward and they are interconnected with one another. And they are interconnected through a long continuous ligament that extends completely across the top of each and every one of the vertebrae all the way from the back of the skull uh, to the coccyx region. This is the supraspinous ligament. Between the spines in this area, at each and every spinal level, are interspinous ligaments. And these allow the movement of the spines as well as permit freedom of movement and also limitation of movement because it is dependent upon the laxity within these ligamentum fibers uh, to determine the amount of movement that one has. When we turn this section then over and look at the vertebral column side, we can see with great clarity the individual ligaments spanning from one vertebral segment up to the next, interconnecting the lamina are these the ligamentum flava. There are other ligaments, of course, the disc between the vertebrae, the anterior and posterior longitudinal ligaments that are found on the anterior and posterior aspects of the body of the vertebrae. In order to clear up this area so that you can see vertebral contents, we have removed a significant amount of fat and venous plexuses. This is the epidural venous plexus, a venous network without valves in it. And depending on pressure gradients within the abdomen or within the thoracic cavity, the blood can move in and out of this venous plexus laterally, as well as be forced upward or downward through the interconnections. This is an extremely important venous network. 
It's very, very small, hairnet-like in nature, and its importance is that metastasis, as well as infections of other sorts, can be spread from the pelvic area due to abdominal pressure, such in tightening of the abdominal wall musculature during defecation, and can cause this infectious material to pass upward, for example, into the thoracic region, where there are interconnections with the intercostal veins, or even all the way up into the venous uh, plexus around the brain. So this is a very important, yet hardly ever stressed, venous network, the vertebral venous plexus. Surrounding the spinal cord are three protective membranes, the meninges. And these meninges cannot be seen all three at once, but rather we must look at the exterior one first. And this is a very tough outer coating, the dura mater. And this is what we are looking at here. It's a long, continuous sac that completely surrounds the spinal cord and is continuous with the dura mater in the cranial cavity. In order for us to visualize the other structures, what we need to do is to open this dural sac in order to get deep within to be able to visualize now the next layer, which is the arachnoid. An arachnoid means spider web-like. And just at the tip of the scalpel, you can see this very thin membrane, the second meningeal layer, the arachnoid. And as we continue this and open it up completely, you'll be able to see then the spinal cord and its coverings. The dura mater has now been reflected and is held back into position so that we can look down on the spinal cord. Notice that the spinal cord extends through the vertebral canal, fills most of this canal down to the level of the disc between the lumbar one and the lumbar two vertebrae. From that point on, the spinal cord does not exist. But in order to supply innervation to the lower extremities and to the pelvis, the nerves come off and continue down within the spinal canal and eventually feed off at their respective vertebral levels. There is a bit of a swelling at the end of the spinal cord called the conus medullaris. And from the very tip of the conus medullaris, centrally located is the terminal filament of the spinal cord called phylum terminale. And phylum terminale continues down on the midline, continuing all the way to the level of the second sacral vertebrae. Here, the large sac, the dura mater, tightly encloses the phylum terminale, and together then, 
they go through the sacral area into the very top of the coccyx as the coccygeal ligament. So again, phylum terminale from the end of the spinal cord, level L1 to 2, going downward to sacral 2 level, where it then is joined and surrounded by uh, the dura to form the coccygeal ligament. All of these hair-like strands that you see in this area of the mid and lower lumbar region are individual nerves, both sensory and motor, and together all of these are called the cauda equini. Cauda equini, when literally translated, means the horse's tail, and that's just what this looks like. When we look now a bit higher up, we see that the dura has been reflected here also, and we can see the spider web-like nature of the arachnoid membrane that fills this area. And it is between the arachnoid and the deeper pia mater. And the pia mater is very difficult to demonstrate because it is that tissue that is directly adherent to the spinal cord. And to pull off pia mater, you literally must start ripping into the spinal cord itself. It is not as thick as the dura mater, but it is completely adherent to the spinal cord, whereas the arachnoid is this loose spiderweb-like material. Between the arachnoid and the pia mater is a space called a subarachnoid space. And it is in this space that the cerebrospinal fluid is found. The cerebrospinal fluid is produced in the ventricles of the brain, passes out to completely surround the brain in the fluid media, and then passes down into the spinal canal area. Cerebrospinal fluid is, has basically the components of blood plasma, uh, no red blood cells within it. Now, if and when one does a spinal tap, either to take some of the cerebrospinal fluid out or to inject contrast material for a spinal cord type of an examination or of the vertebral column itself from the interior, one would not stick needles in the vertebral area where the spinal cord is located because damage to the spinal cord can never be repaired. This is irreparable damage, and so one would go into the lumbar area where we don't have a spinal cord. Remember all of these filaments of the cauda equini are floating in cerebrospinal fluid, so that classically then it's in the lumbar three area that a spinal tap would be made because when the needle passes between the vertebrae, between the spines of the vertebrae, and pierces the dura, and because the dura is so tough you could actually feel that needle passing and perforating the dura, these floating nerves then, as the needle comes at them, will move out of its way. And the possibility of doing damage to these nerves is extremely minimal. The pia mater 
the closest membrane to the spinal cord, has a specialization at each and every vertebral level. And these are called the denticulate ligaments. And if we look here now in close up, by moving some of these nerve filaments, we can see these tooth-like processes, the dentate ligaments, There's one at this level and now one above it, and all the way up and down the chain, these denticulate ligaments pin the arachnoid membrane against the dura mater. This gives stability to the spinal cord for lateral movement purposes. Also in this area, all along at each and every segment, we can see nerves coming off that will be going out to each and every individual level. These are dorsal nerves, dorsal roots, and they are sensory fibers coming into the spinal cord. The motor root fibers now are seen deep within the vertebral canal and more or less coming from its underside. These are motor fibers uh, that go out to each and every segment. In addition to this, you should follow up the spinal cord to the base of the neck. And here it can be well shown the method by which a plexus is formed. In the cervical region, remember we did a great deal of work on the brachial plexus. And the brachial plexus nerve roots now coming directly from the spinal cord, all of the lateral bone has been removed, and we can see the individual sections of the levels C5, C6, C7, and, T, uh, and C8, and then finally thoracic one embedded deeply around the first rib level. Brachial plexus, well shown on not only this side, but some of the fibers from the other side can also be seen. You've been listening to a presentation from the University of Michigan School of Dentistry, which is dedicated to supporting open learning and open educational resources. This recording is licensed under the Creative Commons. It may be reused and redistributed for nonprofit use. Please attribute materials to the University of Michigan School of Dentistry and redistribute under this same license. For more information on how this and other University of Michigan School of Dentistry recordings may be used, visit www.dent.umich.edu/license.